Welcome to The Grid. I am your host, Jennifer Shahadi, and we'll be taking a 13 by 13 episode journey through every possible No Limit Hold'em hand, 169 hands in total, from aces to seven deuce offsuit. Each episode, I'll interview another top poker player or personality about their hand. Once a combo is taken, it's gone. So this podcast will become progressively more difficult as hands like ace-king are removed from the grid. Whether you spend hours poring over grids as you study poker, love to listen to hand history pods while grinding cash, or are just interested in absurd scavenger hunts, we're going to have some fun. You got the cards. Dealer, I'm feeling it hit me. Yeah, I got swagger. They see me, see me strutting. All sweating daggers. Believe it, I'm the real thing. But I gotta switch it on. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Poker Grid. I'm here with Helen Ellis, who is a poker player and author. Some of her books include Eating the Cheshire Cat, The Turning, American Housewife, and most recently, Southern Lady Code, which she defines on the book cover as a technique which, if you don't have something nice to say, you say something not so nice in a nice way. Helen was memorably described in a book by Colson Whitehead, The Noble Hustle. It's been quoted a lot but it's so good, we're gonna have to do it again. (laughs) The dudes flirted and condescended with Helen, and then this creature in a black sweater and pearls walloped them. A lot of people don't think women will bluff, Helen said. She was bluffing the moment she walked in. Today, Helen has a hand for us that coincided with a rebirth in her writing career, a hand that many of us have big dreams for, in fact. Seven, eight suited. Hooray! (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I must tell you, you know, with the Southern Lady Code, if you don't have something nice to say, say something not so nice. Like you would say, um, well, she's an archivist, which means hoarder. And I think there's a perfect Southern Lady Code poker phrase that everybody uses when they don't want to say something nice. And I think it's good hand. A nice hand. Nice hand, which really means, hmm, could mean some very bad things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that, about how, like, your Southern Lady Code is so appropriate to uh, poker. For instance, um, when people say, as played, yes. you tell them a hand history, and they're like, well, what should I have done in the river? And they say, as played, that means, well, you completely wrecked the rest <laughs> of the hand. <laughs> but yes. after playing it, like, complete <laughs> idiot, now, I guess... This is what I do. I hope that, that our podcast together is has the most giggles on it from their other podcasts that I've been listening to. We're going to giggle. Yeah. Well, my husband's a really great editor, so if the giggles are not flattering, he'll just cut them right out. There's no giggling in poker. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess not during the half. No, no. That's why I like poker and going to the casinos. Uh because I don't speak at all. I don't feel the pressure to speak at all or be social or entertain. I just sit quietly and play, which I don't feel in any other situation. So you never talk at the table? I speak if I'm spoken to. Huh. And you'd be surprised at how little I'm spoken to. But you were featured in the New York Times, and I think the backdrop of the article was a home game in your apartment. Yeah, I have many. We have home games in the apartment. It's true. Still, I can be entertaining, and if you come to the house, maybe there are some homemade cookies, which isn't in everybody else's poker game. But again, I like to play because I can just sit very quietly and, and be confrontational and sort of act the opposite of how I act 
every day. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the different reasons for playing games like chess and poker. For mm-hmm. some people, it's a release of their personality. And for some people, it's a way to show a personality that nobody ever sees. Yes, I like it. <laughs> it really is a more natural self for me. I have the same self when I'm writing, which is a very quiet, sort of meditative, aggressive stance. But let's get to the hand, yes. 8-7 suited. Tell us a little bit about where and when this hand took place, because it also fascinated me because it was not just an interesting hand, but also something that coincided with a lot of important events in your own life. It was really a breakthrough moment for me in many respects. I had published a novel in 1999 and then written three more that never saw the light of day. And I had stopped telling people that I was even a writer and at the poker tables, even next week at the Borgata, if you say, what do you do? I will say housewife because it just sort of shuts a conversation down. And I had secretly been writing these short stories, getting them published in you know literary magazines. And I had a collection and it was going out for sale. Um, so it had been 15 years. So I was in this very brave rebirth time in my life and I was feeling very fearless. And I was also, I'd also been opening up my range and, and um, you know, just getting more and more aggressive at the table. So it was 2015 and uh, it was day two of a Borgata event. Um, it was a thousand dollar event. And usually when I go to a day two, 90% of the time, I am dead center in the middle of the mm-hmm. stacks. I usually have 20 big blinds. I am very happy and comfortable with 20 big blinds, and I'm usually right in the middle. And this time, I must have had, you know, 80 bigs, and I felt, you know, stacked. And of course, before the day starts, I look at who's going to be at my table. I look at what the stack sizes are. I try to find out, you know, any sort of background on the players. And there were a couple of good pros at the table. Uh, Vinny. Bahuja? Yes, he's at the table who I adore. And um, Dan. Buzzgon? Buzzgon. Dan Buzzgon was at the table. And I'd never played with him, but I knew his reputation and he absolutely scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> he's a great player. He's a great tough player. Table so far. Yes, very tough table. And of course, all men. And it's probably the first, I'm going to tell you the first, the hand I played before it, just to kind of give you a little build up. So it's the very first hand and it's folded to Dan and he opens and I three bet him with ace king, which is very natural. It folds around to him and he stares at me for what must have been three minutes and he's sitting right beside me and he eventually folds and I show him the ace king, which I really really rarely show my hand um i'm very happy to show a bluff if you call me but i rarely show my hand but i showed him because he just intimidated me and i wanted him to see that i wasn't raising him with just anything so the very next hand it's folded to me and i'm on the button at this point and i have seven eight of clubs so i mean i really could have almost anything if it's folded to me on day two on the button and i opened to 3x and they were two very young um men in the blinds. Both of them had between 10 and 25 big stacks. Big blinds. Big blinds, yeah, yeah. And they each just flat call me. And the flop is four, five, seven with two clubs, which just could not be better for seven, eight of clubs. Small blind jams, big blind jams, and I snap call and flip my hand. I show my seven, eight of clubs for top pair with a flush draw. Small blind has kings and 
Big Blind has aces, and the table just erupts, erupts, and the turn is the six, so I get the straight, and I completely blacked out whatever the, <laughs> the river was. But other men at the table were going crazy as these two young men exited, saying I would have put all my money that she had the aces or kings, and they had the you know small suited connectors, because I just don't see women sort of that loose with, wow. their, with their hands. And, and then anybody that came to the table Men kept talking about the hand. They just would continue to tell the story, tell the story. It shows you how when you're a woman, you can sort of be more aggressive. And when you hit the hand, no one will think you've hit the hand. Well, it's just so incredibly condescending that yes. they would say that. Because it's like you have a big stack and you're on the butt end. Yeah. Oh, yes. So you could have seven, eight off or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, queen deuce suited. Yes. It's really bizarre they that never, they would. They never give you credit. <laughs> I, you know, I think of another hand where I was playing a tournament and someone opened and five people, you know, called. And I had jacks and I jammed. And one person ended up calling you with ace 10. But the table was erupting saying, no way, no way she, you know, would jam with, with just jacks against all these hands. And I'm like, well... I'll jam with a lot less than that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it can be very condescending, but that's fine. It really is fine with me. I'm at an age where I don't have to prove myself to anybody else, and usually that condescension or misjudgment works in my favor. Yeah, and I'm sure nobody who was a good player said that, because it doesn't even make any logical sense. Mm-hmm. Like, Dan and Vinny weren't sitting there. No, like... no, never, no. It's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It's true. We all made it today, I think, today three on that event. And, you know, for me at the table, the greatest compliment I can get is, you are a beast. <laughs> And I say, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. It's just such a different world because there's, what, 4% women that play. It's fascinating to me, the reactions of men at the tables. I feel like a lot of women, first of all, you do not look old at all. I'm uh, not that old. <laughs> there are a lot of women who yes. play poker. It does seem that there's a lot that are very young, you know? Yes. It seems that that is a, a demographic. So between like 21 and 30. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, I think there might even be an extra amount of condescension for mm-hmm. women who are a little older. It's very interesting. I will either be invisible at the table or I'll get a lot of attention at the table. And if a younger woman comes to the table, then I will completely disappear. And again, it works in my favor, but it's fascinating to watch because and women really you you've been there so you see how women come to the table sometimes women will come you know with the hoodies and the sunglasses because they don't want to stand out or draw attention to themselves I just look like myself I try to look like myself and a lot of times that can be intimidating you know maybe I look like somebody's mother or somebody's teacher or a mean librarian (laughs) I don't know (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, though, that um, it seems like you just really enjoy that experience of being um, invisible sometimes and being mm-hmm. able to focus on the game and outplay people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that some women, especially if they're more extroverted, might find it annoying to be mm-hmm. ignored. Like my uh, uh, late friend, Rachel Krantz, who you, I'm sure you would have really loved mm-hmm. because she uh, was also a writer. Mm-hmm and lived in New York and played poker. Um, she was always frustrated with that because she wanted to like have a party at the table and right. talk about like hands and gossip and fun. And you know, that was, it, it, it was right. a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I really, again, it's this sort of 
opposite of my everyday life. I like it because it's a quiet space for me. Even if the table's very rowdy, I like to sit and observe. You'll never see me on a phone at the tables. You, you'll see me watching everybody else. To me, it's a great show. And it's a place that I feel, still feel like I'm not supposed to be, you know, I'm not supposed to be there. So I feel like- That's a, a thrill. It's a thrill. Every time I walk into a poker room, and I've been playing in casinos since I was 21 years old, you know, every time I walk into a poker room, there's a fear and a thrill. And I know people are looking and you sit at the table and you just have to wait until you sort of draw first blood before people, you know, respect you. And it's a thrill to surprise people. I love it. I love it so much. That's funny because a lot of people in chess and poker, you know, they want to get more women in by Mm -hmm. saying like, you know, we need to make them feel more comfortable. You'll never be comfortable. There's also that sense of what we were saying that some women um, specifically gravitate towards it because they want to feel that thrill of being one of the only ones and overcome. Well, you have to think about it. Will you ever be comfortable in a room as the only woman with a room full of men? No, you will never be comfortable. You never will. You know, there is sort of a thrill of muscling through that and being the last one standing and fighting and confronting and, you know, standing your ground in a quiet, strong way. And again, I just, I just love it. Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. I think some people think that if maybe there was like 20% women instead of 10, it would somehow change things. But I would love it. I mean, do you, you, I'm sure you play the women's events. Do you play the women's events? Oh, I love them. I love them. I have a lot of fun at those. I love them. And it's a completely different game, don't you think? Well, I think it's, it's all like that one's about a lot about table draw. I either have like a phenomenal Mm. time (laughs) or there's just like, a little bit of a I think it's just more so in women's tournaments it's like but so in co-ed tournaments as well there's this feeling that one bad apple ruins the bunch mm-hmm. in that one kind of cranky negative person at the table just kind of like adds this like awful aura and I think it can the, the converse can be true too mm-hmm. if you have one really happy chatty person <laughs> like my good friend Jules who's just like a ray of sunshine yeah <laughs> there's no better sport than Jules <laughs> it can be very catchy <laughs> it is so, I love I love it. I love it. <laughs> and women, women's tournaments, I feel that even more. So it's like you're either at a table with like jewels and everybody's like joking and ordering like shots <laughs> or you're at some table where like two women just had a fight yes. and everybody is silent. Yes. And there's, and there's a million different perfumes <laughs> and rattling jewelry. But I feel like it's a faster game. It's a, it's a really fast game as compared to when you play against men. A lot of times men really do, the word I want to use is brood, um, but you know, overthink a hand and they take forever and there's a lot of posturing. And when you play the ladies events, it's very, very fast and instinctive and I, I love it. But to get back to the moment yes. in your career that this hand took place it really interests me because obviously you know that poker players deal with lots of downswings mm-hmm. and to me when I was reading about your downswing in writing where you were writing books and they weren't getting published I couldn't help but think of a poker player who was um, you know failed to cash for quite mm-hmm. a long time mm-hmm. and how do you keep your stamina and your commitment to your craft that is a great question and I will tell you that poker the big thing it has taught me is that you will fail and there's always another game and when it came to my writing life it was 15 years of failure and that is the word I would choose to use when I kind of got that life back I kept this sort of competitive attitude so that 
came back to me. My writing life came back to me in 2015 with American Housewife, which was published in 2016. And then I wrote another book, which was published this year. And now they've paid me to write another book, which I'm writing now on deadline, which I love. I write the last three books have been short stories and essays. Um, there's sort of this instant gratification of writing something that's 10 pages long and then it being a success and putting it away. But every essay isn't like that. Every story isn't like that. You know, sometimes the piece just isn't going where you want it to go and you have to just let it go. And it's very easy for me to let a piece go because like in poker, you know, you bust out, you make it far, you bust out but there's always another tournament. All you have to do is show up. And it's that bravery. It's There's some guts to go and, and play cards. And there's some guts to sit down and think, I'm gonna write something that people are gonna wanna read. I mean, poker really, really just toughened my skin and made me very appreciative of when I get back in the game, like when I got back into the writing game, that I know how special it is to be there and I, I will not let it go. When Colson Whitehead wrote about you in The Noble Hustle is he's a um, fantastic New Yorker, New York writer. Didn't mm-hmm. he win some like Pulitzer or something recently? Yes, he won the Pulitzer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he won the Pulitzer, he won the National Book Award, he won the Kirkus, he won the Guggenheim. <laughs> he's a very big deal. <laughs> yeah, especially after getting poker lessons from you. He, I think he'd won the MacArthur and the Guggenheim when I met him in like 2012 to coach him. And I had been a fan of his writing, you know, mm-hmm. for since, since the intuitionist which was his first book so i knew who he was but the noble hustle came and went and then came the underground railroad and then came the nickel boys and now he is just you know out of this world i count being paired up with him to coach him for the world series as like the one of the best gifts i've ever gotten um because really when i was coaching him i wasn't writing and I was in this space where I was being introduced at literary parties as, oh, this is Colson Whitehead's poker coach, which was fine by me at the time. Or when that book came out to see him write about me, you know, it was like seeing someone paint a picture of you. I thought, well, that's fine. If this is how I go down in history, that's great. But the way he wrote about me and the way he respected my, you know, experience and help made me feel like a little badass. (laughs) And it made me think, well, you know, I'm brave enough to walk into a room full of thousands of men and think I can outlast them. I can write a little story. And he really did sort of remind me that I was brave. And I, you know, started writing on on a more regular basis. And poker sort of gave me my chutzpah. (laughs) I read that book a few years ago, actually. And I hadn't met you yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I followed you on Twitter yet. I was anonymous back then. So I just knew you of the book and what a what a brilliant portrayal. Really, you came off so wonderfully like as somebody who, like I just got to, I, I wrote a couple things because there's that quote I mentioned in the introduction, which everybody uses. <laughs> um, and that, you know, I, I don't like to be the person who only uses what other people use. So there's a couple <laughs> other ones where before the WSOP, you recommended that he read The Gift of Fear and eat swordfish. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I have my own tactics. I love you read The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. I love that book. So I felt a lot of kinship when I read yes. that because I actually did a Run It Once video where I started by talking about The Gift of Fear. Ooh. And this was, the, the video was about trying to calculate your um, equity if you're playing against somebody who's not 100% um, reliable. Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit shady. Mm-hmm. But they're like, okay, like let's just be more and more blunt. They're a shady fish. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're not good at poker, <laughs> but they're a little bit, you're not 100% sure you're getting paid if you win. Mm-hmm. So I was like trying to go through like whether that was a good, how you calculate whether that's a good proposition. And I mentioned the gift of fear. Yes, I love it. I think it's excellent for beginners, but especially for women to read because we are, as women, constantly tamping down our instinct. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're, t- we're, meant to think that you're being hysterical if you don't want someone to bring your groceries into your house. You have a bad feeling and once they get in your house then it's all over. It's this instinct like this person is lying to me, this person is lying to me. And it really plays well in poker. I think about my husband who thinks whenever he's in a hand the other person has the absolute best hand. If there's two fours on the board well then they have four fours. Where Almost every hand I'm involved with, I think the other person is lying. I think the book is terrific, just letting you respect that first instinct. Anytime I find myself talking myself into something, when it comes to a poker hand, it's usually not a good idea. You know, when I hear myself say, fold, he has it. Well, let me think about it. I'm always... I was right the first time. Although you sometimes it's hard because you have to you have to unwrap what is an, a genuine instinct and mm-hmm. what is fear a bad memory <laughs> yes. that is kind of tra- traumatizing. Yes, you. yeah. So you know the last few times you called these huge overbets, they just had the nuts, and you were embarrassed. Yes. So it could be like that bad memory, or it could be something that you're instinctually picking up on mm-hmm. that you can't actually consciously remember. And mm-hmm. that's, that's why it's very hard in poker. But I I actually think the gift of beer is also very useful for the metagame yes who to be friends with who to swap with even if they're a really great player are they going to actually pay you the swap I felt like that was for me that was like where I like had a lot of poker analogies to the book and there was another part which I actually feel like just um tied into some stuff you were earlier saying is that when Colson was describing a relationship and his dreams for it, he said that it would be like one of those racial harmony movers I never go to see like the blind side where a southern white lady instructs a weirdo black guy in how to use a fork that's my broken barriers montage sequences golden globes i love that oh thank you no i love that quote too because i yeah i think since colson has written that book um there's been even more like kind of heat on these kind of like white savior type movies Mm -hmm. but you can tell that like he feels like wait actually maybe this would be the first good one yes (laughs) this one could work and since then, of course, you've written two best-selling books, and he's won the Pulitzer, the National Book Award, all these other... He's doing okay. So, apparently, this movie, which, you know, actually didn't take place, but took place in the real world, yes. turned out to be great for both of you. Yes, yes, it was definitely win-win. And I don't think he's been back to the... I know he has a, a game, like a quarter-dollar game, that he plays with a bunch of very big uh, riderly types, um, other... Pulitzer winners. <laughs> but I don't think he's been back in the casino since. I think it um, it rung him right out. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. I actually feel, I feel like the, when I started reading your books also, I just think that, you know, you have such an incredible sense of timing and flow. Like, your Twitter feed is funny, but a lot of people are funny on Twitter. I think that the ability to just carry it and know exactly when to end something. I don't know if there's a poker analogy there, but just as, as somebody who loves to write as well, like... Do you read your stories aloud? Like, what are your tips for that? I am a writer who unabashedly writes for women. My 1% is straight men. (laughs) Um, So I write for women of all ages and gay men. That is who I, that's who I 
I write for. But when I write something, I always have my husband read it out loud to me because I can hear his voice drag or I can hear if he gets, you know, if he thinks something's funny or I can hear spots, you know, where I need to revise it or cut it because if I can make him interested in what I'm writing about, then I can probably make you interested in what I'm writing about. And who was it? So I have had many a lesson with um, Matt Matros. He coaches me and he writes as well. And he really sort of catered poker lessons or poker coaching to me with the thought of when you play a hand, you're telling a story. You know, with each bet, how much you bet, how you behave, you're telling a story. Whether that story is a lie, the truth, you know, you have to always think when someone's playing at you, does that make sense in the story? I thought that was pretty smart. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I talked about this recently with Martin Harris, um, who's also an author and a professor in North Carolina. He, he and I were talking about how a lot of people who aren't writers but are poker players, when they talk about a hand, a lot of times it almost feels like their inner writer is coming out. Yes, yes. Poker players know how to tell a good story. <laughs> Do I want to hear it all the time? <laughs> no, I don't. But that's sort of the best part of Playing cards, well, not my best part, but a lot of people love, you know, talking about it afterwards and all those details. How many lies did he have? What was he wearing? Was he drunk? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And <laughs> some of your stories are about manners, like how to be a good guest. The good guest is always the first to arrive and the first to leave. That's correct. <laughs> and they spew compliments like a busted pinata. <laughs> Don't bring me wine, just compliment me. <laughs> And um, the the more specific and colorful the compliment, the better. Right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. So not like you have pretty eyes. Yes, well, you you walked right in the door and gave me a compliment, which well, I appreciate. I did read yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> not that they're not that the compliments That's weren't right. genuine. I don't care. I'll take a false compliment. I don't mind. <laughs> I do generally like to give a lot of compliments because I like a lot of things. Yes, yes, yes. And you can take a compliment, I noticed as well. A lot of ladies cannot take a compliment. And that's sort of a skill in itself. All you have to do is say thank you or, you know, nice hand. Be the first to arrive and the first to leave. Not not the best Not the best poker advice, right? No, no, no. I always think to myself, if I make it past the, four, like the 200, 400 level, I'm good. I'm going to go far. And that's, again, I think back to Matt, who was sort of trying to change my way of thinking. I play with such a survivalist mentality. You know, if I have 20 bigs, I am gold. I'm gold. I can last for days on that. And he has this attitude of, no, you want all the chips. You want to win as many chips. You want to bust early in the tournament. Um, you're not there just to play, you know, like a weekend warrior. You want all the chips which I think about that 7A to clubs hand where I've got two people jamming in front of me that was me being the the killer wanting all the chips because they both did have better hands than me when we put Mm -hmm. the money in but it was such a good setup of I mean I did have a nice big stack but what else did I want from playing a 7A to clubs and I took both their stacks and it was so delicious yum 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 (laughs) you sound like my son right now (laughs) Yum, yum, yum. But I would never say that at the table. I just sit quietly. (laughs) Oh, that would be great for you to say that at the table. I did. I did in in that tournament. I think it was deep into that that afternoon. And everybody was going to dinner. And I just like won a huge pot. So people were leaving the table. And I was sort of getting my chips in order. And I said something out of my breath. And Will, who's this reporter, said, did you just say that was delicious? (laughs) I said, yes. (laughs) It was delicious. And that was a seven eight of clubs hand yeah. that we started with. Yeah. Yeah. With the uh the four, five, seven. You got there, you got the six so on the turn. Mm, mm. And then better than caviar. 
the aces and the kings. Yes. We're, yeah. we're gone. Out of here. I have never in my life limped with aces or kings. Never in my life. Or just life. flat called never. instead of raising all never. in. Never. Never. No. I can't. I'm not able to do it. The thing about aces, it's, it's a lot like red nails. Hard to mess up. I love that. I gotta steal that. <laughs> I'm thinking of you. That is your best. That's your best accessory. <laughs> I'm gonna steal that. In a way, I mean, whatever you do with your aces that doesn't involve folding them, like, is gonna make you a lot of money. <laughs> it's that mentality of, oh, I should trap him. You mm-hmm. know. I should trap that person. I always get myself into trouble when I have that instinct. Attitude. Yeah, I do because you know it's just I the trapper gets trapped in my in my experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough. It's just about finding the right amount of trap. You know, everybody has their own um, their own image and their own instincts. I find myself that actually it's a uh, it's not instinctual for me to trap mm-hmm. people. I mm-hmm. tend to be a little bit more straightforward. So I I actually have to introduce some of that into my game. Whereas other people are overly sneaky, mm-hmm. so they have to kind of take some of it out. Yeah, in a cash game, people limp with kings and aces all the time and it usually you usually think it's an older man that's what i see mm-hmm. whenever i see an older man you know limp in a cash game or a tournament i'm like oh aces <laughs> yeah luckily you know people don't have aces that often <laughs> not a very easy but hand to get beautiful aren't they nice I they are them. the red nails they always were especially when they're hearts and diamonds <laughs> Yes, but I wanted to ask you about manners and poker players, if you have another hour or two. (laughs) How to behave at the poker table. Uh, Like, what are some things that people might not talk about? Like, you know, not the obvious, like being rude to dealers. It's amazing to me what men will talk about in front of me and then how other men will respond to that. And I find poker players a lot of times to be the most chivalrous group of men, at least in my presence. If somebody says something rude or if someone throws their cards or, you know, is pitching a fit or is, uh, you know, another man will say, there's a lady present. And I see it a lot. That happens a lot. I get mammed up and down at the poker table and I love to be (laughs) mammed. I deserve to be mammed. I'm very happy to be mammed. But I think etiquette wise, I can't stand it if somebody reaches into my chips, which happens once and then it never happens again people i can't stand when people are sort of policing the table and you know grabbing everybody's chips to make the the you know the antis add up i love the new big blind ante habit people can just be very rude and condescending and i that's why i don't speak that's why i just don't speak it will stop it if you don't speak back they usually will clam up um what do you think what's I think you kind of touched on it at the beginning is that poker table, there's nine people at the table. And I think that sometimes people have conversations that are more appropriate for private. I have seen men with porn on their phones at the table. (laughs) Right beside me. (laughs) Right beside me. That's a good one. It's unbelievable. I've seen that more than once. Well, I know you were looking because I read the chapter in your book. Those of you who haven't read Southern Lady Code yet, um, Helen has a chapter on... Twitter and pornography. Yeah. And, you know, she has her handle uh, used to be American Housewife. Mm-hmm. So um, somehow she got like more pornography followers than others. Twitter allows porn. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's out there. Very graphic porn. So I know it when I see it, <laughs> especially at the poker table. And again, I just, one time the, the fl- <laughs> I don't do anything. Like I don't call attention to it, you know, but I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you would sit there with that at the table. That's really crazy to me because how are you going to relieve? Like, uh, like what's the, 
<laughs> What's the math here? I'm trying to calculate this. There have been a number of times where men have been on either side of me in a hand and arguing verbally and leaning in over me. And I will get up from the table. I'll push back from the table and stand until they're finished having their fight. Because I didn't come to get smacked and it happens all the time it happens all the time well it's gonna be hard for me to come up with any examples after you have the pornography at the table on i mean (laughs) can't top that you know i come to the table and i say all right gentlemen you know will you please (laughs) close your legs so i can squeeze in oh yes ma'am yes ma'am um but it's amazing i wanted to start like an instagram feed of you know men's legs touching my legs (laughs) because you look down and i i just like do you touch your wife like this If you're like up against your wife like this, it's fascinating. So manners at the poker table, we have a very low bar. Don't look at your pornography so that the housewife sitting next to you can see it, even though she's really looking on on Twitter as well. But (laughs) Well, you have to like see what it is before you report it. (laughs) But to take it to a higher bar, what about if you're hosting your own poker game? Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of hosting tips do you have for... When we host a game, we like to have a lot. We put out a spread. So, you know, you're welcome to go into the kitchen and fix yourself a sandwich or there's pizza or there's drinks, you know. Um, You want people to be comfortable. And and when I teach, you know, new students, I'll say, like, I'll usually go to a, a... woman's house and there'll be it's usually all women and there'll be you know just a spread out and when you start playing poker you think am I going to be able to get up from the table so I always sort of give a list of like how to behave at the poker table and that is if you have to use the restroom you get up and use the restroom if you want to get yourself some more chili go get yourself more chili don't put your chili bowl on the felt if you want more chips just poke me and I'll give you more chips don't touch another player's stack don't talk when other people are involved in a hand don't say what you think that player is playing. What else is there? Uh, You know, stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because, you know, sometimes there are games and friendships where people feel like they shouldn't do certain plays against them, like check raises or triple barrels. And I think that that is really dangerous because if the poker world gets too clickish and people have these beliefs it's it's a big problem well my husband has played with me many a time and he knows that i'll never take it easy on him he will he's afraid to you know go against me but i have a very vivid memory of being in at the aria we were playing you know like a one-day tournament we're at the same table i raise with aces (laughs) no i raise with kings i have kings i raise he pushes all in and i'm like i'm sorry dear and i call him and he had aces and i said hooray hooray for you and then he lost (laughs) (laughs) and what does he say he's like if i lose i lose and if she loses i lose (laughs) it's really tricky i think with friends you don't want to bluff them less because then as friendships explode in the poker world it becomes really unfair and forbidding to outsiders Mm -hmm. as these relationships can interfere and you know who's who knows who at a table you know you know you can tell but you don't want to bluff them more either it's really a part where you got to get like that frequency right (laughs) so tell me more about your latest book southern lady code i mentioned in the introduction how it is a way to say something in a nice way that isn't very nice. Mm -hmm. Well, you could say he has a big personality, which means he never stops running his mouth. (laughs) Or what did we say earlier? As played. As played, yes, you know, who you gonna do? Or um, she likes, you know, she likes to play a lot, which means she plays every hand and plays terribly. Solid is good. You know, when, uh, when Colson wrote the book, my husband appears a little bit in the book and we got to read the book in galley form, you know, with the thought, if you want to change anything, if there's anything that bothers you, which is what I did with 
my last book because it's nonfiction. If you were in the essay, I would send it to you saying, if you want me to change your name, I will. If there's anything that bothers you, I'll, I'll change it. And he sent it to me and I said, don't change a thing. I loved it. And my husband said, well, at one point he refers to me as a tight <laughs> player. And I don't like that. So he changed it to solid, <laughs> solid player. See, that's exactly what I meant. Yes. That's what I meant. Solid means tight. tight. <laughs> This is something that I think is a famous poker folklore that breaking even means you're losing your shirt (laughs) and losing a little means you're mortgaging your house. Well, my father, you know, he always said growing up, I'm like, how did you do it? No matter how he did, the answer was always, I did okay. (laughs) That's whether he lost the boat or won the boat. It was always, I did okay. It's tough because you have to kind of tailor what you're saying to your poker friends and your Mm -hmm. real world friends because it's going to be translated differently. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like poker players could feel your pain when I saw this this tweet by you that I just love. And you say, why I say I'm a housewife? Oh, person, what do you do? Me, I'm a writer. Like self-published on Amazon? No, I have a publisher. So can I buy your books in stores? Yes. Like like Barnes and Noble? (laughs) Yes. And Amazon? Yes. Are they making a movie? <laughs> and I, I was like, a poker player could write this exact scene. Yes. Can you make me 50 bucks? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you count cards? Yeah. No, that's, that's blackjack. That's a big one. Can you count cards? You must be really good at math. Uh, yes, that's absolutely right. And that's why I say I'm a housewife at a poker table. Because again, it's not giving away anything about yourself. And it will shut a conversation down. Nobody asks a second question when you say housewife. And when you say writer, then that person's going to be talking to you. And never has it happened where I've said, oh, I'm a writer. What have you written? Southern Lady Code. Oh, let me buy it right now on, on, the, on Kindle. That never happens. Really? Never. Never. And, I, and my husband now says, you know, when that happens, oh, you should buy it on Kindle. It's $11. Go right ahead. But um, no, it never happens. You don't think so? I mean, I, I sometimes, when I meet somebody who just wrote a book, I love But books. that's because you're an intelligent woman. <laughs> yes. Not everyone behaves that way. I mean, not always, but I, I, a, a fair portion of the time, if it sounds interesting, I actually will buy it because I have then this reference point of this cool person that I met, mm-hmm. which makes it more like kind of interesting to go out, pick up and read it. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. Yes. Yes. But I get what you're saying. And that's also like for me as a chess player, a poker player and, and you know, podcast host, writer, like it's hard for me to also say what I do sometimes, especially like in the mom's groups, because mm-hmm. then I feel like almost like bad manner that it's going to monopolize the conversation because mm-hmm everything is so weird mm-hmm. so they're gonna ask me a hundred questions and then suddenly like it's all about me yeah so I, I just try to say something that sounds kind of boring what like, do you say if I if I don't want the conversation to all be about me I will sometimes say something like I work in media I think that tends to shut things down I a will. little bit it sounds yeah. a little boring mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or maybe something about something that sounds a little technical yeah and also I think people get the coded language yeah like, if you say something very vague they understand that you don't want to talk about it. Right, right. I, I keep coming back to age uh, just because I'm very comfortable with my age. And um, I wasn't this way in my 20s and 30s. I thought I have to prove something. And now I don't have anything to prove. So, you know, yes, I'm a writer. I'm a poker player. I do lots of interesting things. I'm a jigsaw puzzle fanatic. <laughs> um, but I don't need someone who's just met me to know that. So I just say housewife. I don't say I'm just a housewife, but... I say housewife because, you know, I'm proud of that, too. I'm a pretty good one. It's a good gig. Your house looks amazing, so, yeah. (laughs) And I was pretty encouraged to read your essay um, in American House. No, that's in Southern Lady Code. Mm -hmm. The one about how you used to be a slob and now you're a neat freak. Yes, I'm a recovering slob. Sometimes I relapse. Don't look in that closet. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, that was in the New York Times in the uh, the Modern Love section mm-hmm. as well, picked as one of their like top modern love essays. Uh, it was really good. Thank um, you. And it gave me hope. There's hope. <laughs> At the same time, which also came up in your essays, you don't have a toddler. Exactly. So that does add another layer well, of difficulty. I, I have, that's the answer when people say, how do you do all these things? I don't have children. <laughs> it's... That's the answer. I don't have that commitment. And do you think that plays into being more comfortable with your age? Because I feel mm-hmm. that women in That's their, a good question. their 20s and 30s are hounded by people, even if they're not asking, just like thinking about it and projecting those thoughts. Like when, when are you going to have kids? How many are you going to have? Yes. And that can be a little stressful. It is very stressful. You know, whenever we would meet, we were at a party, people would meet my husband and I, they would ask my husband, what do you do? And they'd ask me, how many children do you have? Not, do you have children? How many children do you have? And my answer is none. And, but again, it was me, I'm 49 now, and I, when I pushed past 40, I just became more and more comfortable with the life choices that I have made. And it makes me, I think it gives me time if I want to go off and play cards, I don't have anything distracting me. I mean, you're an amazing player. <laughs> you know, you have this child. So I know that's not the end all be all but I have a level of freedom that I'm comfortable with does that make sense oh absolutely and I think (laughs) you know it's important especially probably from somebody with your background like coming from a more traditional upbringing Mm -hmm. in the south um, where people are probably very uh, very nosy and Mm -hmm. asking you a lot of questions about children's actually in um in most of my circles since I'm friends with a lot of like chess players poker players and artists uh, most the only one with the kid yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I mean I've made some I've few friends from poker who also have kids but like my good friend Katie Stone who I'm sure you would love if you met her Mm -hmm. um but and then I've met some new friends with kids but very few of my of my friends from those worlds have children you should listen to my sister has a huge podcast um called One Bad Mother and she and her co-host have five children between them and both of them are in sort of these comedian artistic worlds and they're the ones same thing they're the ones with the kids where their friends don't have kids and it's just a fantastic honest hilarious podcast about being a mom I I didn't realize that that was what it was about yeah yeah it's it's pretty pretty great I just went to see them live in Boston and it was like standing room only at a Rolling Stones concert all these moms you know breastfeeding on the first row (laughs) No way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely look up your yeah. sister. Yeah. And like I like I mentioned with the uh, book, I am the type of woman who when you tell me about the podcast, I'm going to go to Apple, I'm going to sub, and I'm going to rate it five stars. <laughs> yes, and it's not even going to cost, cost me $11. <laughs> One bad mother, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that, by the way, that is a, a trope um, from Helen's book that I actually, I stole in a tweet that I just wrote before I came Ooh. into the house. And um, I'm going to use more often where she, you say, I'm the type of woman. Yes. And then you end it with this kind of witty and that's what the new book is called the new book is called that kind of woman oh (laughs) great yeah now i just gotta finish it (laughs) yeah but it just goes to show you how having that kind of construct for the joke is really helpful Uh, like southern lady code came out of a piece that i wrote in american housewife because i found myself sort of decoding what i was saying for my friends and there's a little story in southern lady called code called that kind of woman and and the new book will be more essays and that's where that stemmed from so there's sort of this natural progression i'm trying to respect 
Is there anything you might write about poker? Has poker come up in much of your writing yet? And <laughs> People ask me that. I think, oh, poker is much too intimate to write about as opposed to pornography and my sex life. God forbid I write about poker. It has popped up. Like, there's a story in American Housewife about a woman who stops writing and starts playing poker and decides not to write again, which is sort of what I was going through at the time. But I wrote the story and decided, oh, I'll write again. But poker has been a part of my life since I was six years old. There have been times, years, when I wasn't writing, but there's never been a time where I wasn't playing poker. Um, so it's very, very near and dear to me. And if you're not a player, it's hard to make it interesting, I think, sometimes. You know, I when I'm playing, I have this thing called a virtual rail. So on breaks and tournaments, I write like 10 different women in my life and I talk about a hand and I use all the language and they all write me back saying, go, go, go. We have no idea what you're saying, but go, go, go. So it's, I think it can be hard to make it interesting. I'm sure you could do it. I could try. I, mean, <laughs> I could try. I guess it's even harder for you than some writers because mm-hmm. you're so much of your audience is women mm-hmm. and they are less likely to have Everybody the reference points. Chess. Everyone you talk to, they, you know, when you, when it comes up that I play, everybody wants to play, you know, but it's so intimidating, you know, it's just, it can be very intimidating. And I say, well, it's going to continue to be. I mean, my motto is it's okay to be scared, but don't play scared. And that's just the way it's going to, going to be. I love that motto. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, Because you got to realize that, you know, fear is often a sense that you're doing something right. Nerves, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, fear. mm -hmm shows that you're taking it seriously, that you're ready, as you said, to be brave. And uh, you uh, mentioned earlier Colson White, Whitehead's mm-hmm. portrayal of you, reminding you mm-hmm. um, that you were brave. And I, when I read that, I, it really gave me chills. I think it's like just such a, um, an important thing to say because poker players, often when they're down on their luck, they forget about you know, how many people they had to surprise in order to take this bizarre career path that could lead Mm -hmm. them in some ways to many different new relationships and discoveries. That's a great point. I think some of the most interesting people I've ever met, I've met because of poker, and I would never have met them in you know, my the other circles of my life. Um, And my favorite, my favorite things is to be, you know, quietly sitting at a poker table and to have some dude with the long beard and dark sunglasses and a hoodie and flip-flops come up and tap me on the shoulder. Hi, Helen, how are you? And the whole table would go, what the? How do you know that person? Kiss me a little street cred and I I love it. (laughs) You know, poker is about taking risks, but at some point it's possible to play in a way where it feels like you're not taking as many risks as you should be Mm -hmm. or you already know the bluff spot so you don't really feel like to pat yourself on the back for it anymore because mm-hmm. it's just something that you're kind of like you know because of the math you don't feel like it's your heart anymore you think it's like the math I think I think to myself you know I this year I haven't played much at all because I had the book come out and I was just touring a lot so I played this summer at the World Series which was terrific but it was a complete bust and I'm playing next week and I'm just giddy over it and it's been a long time you know I'm not the gamble of writing is paying off for me right now so I'm sort of sticking to those guns um so I'm walking in to play after a little bit of a dry spell but I can't wait 
Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, that's the thing. I never get burnt out from poker because yeah. I always have so much going on that I never get to play as much as I'd like to. Um, and, you know, last year I also had a lot going on between um, my work for empowering women in chess to uh, my son, of course, to some poker events that I was playing on the West Coast. So I wasn't mm-hmm. playing that much, especially on the East Coast, like mm-hmm. the Borgata. Um, so I, I went there and um, I was reminded that I'm brave because a few minutes after stepping in, some women started chasing me with a with a bottle. What? With a beer bottle. <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing is, like, I guess I, I'm a little brooding. Like, I sometimes get into my own space. Like, listen, I'm not blaming myself. No. Because I definitely didn't do anything wrong. No. But she claimed I was staring at her, her no. boyfriend. No. It is possible. I sometimes do just kind of, like, space out. But, like, this guy was not is not attractive to me so it definitely was not that case but she was clearly like intoxicated and yeah like it was pretty scary actually how did that stop how did you put a stop to it um well i just i guess i lost her Really? <laughs> I've never been chased with a beer bottle, and I hope I never will be. I have had cards thrown in my face before at the table. I mean, I tried to yeah. talk to her. No. I, I, that, that was the problem, maybe, because I tried to explain that, like... Your husband isn't attractive. <laughs> tough spot. Tough spot. Anything I said, she just had this, like, look of anger in her eyes. That, like, oh it felt like God. me existing was really the problem. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a good story, though. And that, Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about being a writer... And, you know, so many poker players, even if they're not writers, they're content creators, right? Mm -hmm. Especially a lot of the more well-known or sponsored ones now are Mm -hmm. feeling like they need to craft this image. So they're tweeting, they're Mm -hmm. making YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. And it does kind of feel like that. Like, either you win or something ridiculous happens, funny happens, and you have a good story. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. almost feels like there's this kind of, like, mining for for entertainment and good stories. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Which could feel inauthentic, but I don't know. Well, I think to myself, you know, you said earlier, I think you said when you feel fear, it's usually something that you should do. You know, not something you shouldn't do, which is really interesting. And something I have adopted, is that the right word, in my writing life is when I'm thinking about a subject like poker, I'm afraid to write about it. And usually when I finally do write about it, it turns out to be the best thing to write about what you're scared to write about, like, with the essay you mentioned, walking out of my apartment with a maxi pad stuck to my back when I was 23 years old. And that turned out to be a really good piece. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Although I feel like when somebody like you says that they were a slob when they were younger, like I feel like you weren't, you weren't a real slob. You're exaggerating. Oh, like no. you were like a slob by Southern, oh, no. Southern like uh, charm school oh, no. standards. Oh no. <laughs> No. no, like by like real legitimate. It was legitimate. <laughs> and again, I have been known to relapse. <laughs> if usually if you see the house a complete sty, the writing is going very well because <laughs> I'm not I'm not cleaning the house. <laughs> um, but yeah, my husband has 24 years. He can attest that I am a true slob at heart. I think it would be wonderful if you wrote about poker one day because yeah. it would be like, you know, it would be a way for, I think, women to think about potentially just trying it out. Because mm-hmm. a lot of women don't take enough risks with finance. And I think the issue mm-hmm. there is, because I've given talks about women and, and finance and the relationship with poker. And my issue is that not taking a risk is kind of like a risk. Yes. Because if you put your money just in like, you know, 1% savings accounts, then... Mm-hmm 
you're going to actually lose money because other people's money is growing at a much higher rate, mm-hmm. right? And then inflation and you lose money. Cool. So I think that that is kind of like why poker is important for at least some women to kind of understand that risk and really feel it. That is a really good point. And for me, I have a more emotional reason. As women, we are taught to be quiet, to not make a fuss, to not fight. And at the poker table, poker is all about confrontation. And to sit there and three bet a giant, (laughs) you know, grizzly bear of a man to be a bully. And I have to say at the poker table, it's really fun to be a quiet bully. (laughs) Um, It's really can be quite empowering just being quiet and strong in your play. And if you can sort of stand up to an aggressive person um, at a poker table in this quiet way, you can stand up to someone who's not treating you right in your day-to-day life in a quiet and strong way. It just makes you more comfortable with taking care of yourself. And sometimes taking care of yourself is, you know, pushing a bad element away. I think that's a great point. And in poker, you're lucky because you get a lot of iterations. So if you mess it up, you can try again. Do over. Whereas in life, sometimes, you know, you have that meeting with like the disrespectful people, whether they're men or women. Mm -hmm. And like later that day, you're like, I wish I'd said X, Y, Z. And you might not have a meeting like that for another year. Mm -hmm. Right. So. And in poker, you don't have to say a word. Yeah. um, Which is terrific. And the other thing is people, I think of what I like to play and why I like to play in a casino is I feel safe. In a casino, I feel safe in a poker room. If I take all your money, you can't sort of hold me up, you know, because I've got the floor and security everywhere, and there's a there's a feeling of safety, which I don't think people associate or think about when it comes to a casino or a poker group that it's a safe place. But it's my safe place. <laughs> well, certainly online. I don't play online. If I played online, I would be three hundred pounds. <laughs> I can't. I don't play online because I think again. I think part of why. My play is good is because the way I look. I don't look like I could hurt you. But I can. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, it's been so fun talking to you, Helen. This has just been uh, wonderful, actually, by going through your work and some of your interviews. I found it really personally inspiring. And I hope a lot of our listeners do, too, that even a 15-year-old spell of writing downswing you were able to overcome. And, you know, unfortunately, you're not playing quite as much poker because the writing is going so well. But you love it, so you'll always be with it. Always. And we can follow you at What I Do All Day on Twitter. Yes, and on Instagram at American Housewife. Wonderful. And of course, we can buy your books on Kindle, Amazon, or as you mentioned on that tweet, <laughs> Barnes and Noble. Yes, and you can download the audiobook and hear me read it to you. <laughs> If you like my voice. Well, that's especially useful for poker players. <laughs> yes. You, know. you should listen to an audiobook. Especially if you like bluffing and then you listen to like the part where you say the, the, the scene where there was the, the birthday party and like a shooting erupted in it. That one's hilarious. Yes, my like, father faked his own death for my 13th birthday. You wonder why I am the way that I am. <laughs> I feel like if you're getting into a really big pod and you're reading that's in that story is being told, you're just going to start like giving off all these false tales. <laughs> like that guy definitely has it <laughs> bold see we started with giggling and we're ending with giggling well thank you so much at what i do all day helen ellis author and poker aficionado who's uh, been so gracious to be on the poker grid and now i'm gonna eat this um vegetable and cream cheese platter that she put out for me i hope so <laughs>
Thanks for listening to thepokergrid.com. Please subscribe, review, and tell your friends about your favorite episode. If you want to support my projects, consider a tax-deductible donation to U.S. Chess Women. We are working to even the mind sports playing field by bringing more women and girls into chess. Till next time, as we count down 169 hands. No one ever bust. They say I'm lucky. Oh no, no need to bluff. With all the cheap tricks up my sleeve. Yeah, I got talent.